All right, what's cracking, guys? So welcome to today's episode. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you smash the subscribe button and pay it forward by sharing with a friend uh, if you think they would enjoy it or if they're just weak and not that uh, not that jacked. Um, so today I'm going to be talking with Nick Shaw, who is co-owner of uh, Renaissance Periodization, and we're going to be talking about what it takes to be successful. So first off, thanks so much for jumping on, Nick. It's great to have you here. Could you uh, just give yourself a little bit of an introduction to maybe some of the people who aren't familiar with you? Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having me on first. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I started RP about a, actually about a decade ago with, uh, with Dr. Mike Israel. Most people are familiar with him in the, uh, in the strength space. And so we started about a decade ago. Uh, we both went to school at the University of Michigan, Michigan together. Uh, from there, we were personal trainers in New York City for about a year or so. He went back to get his PhD. Uh, I stayed in the city, was training people kind of pretty quickly realized I didn't want to spend my entire life uh, on my feet, especially in New York City, running around everywhere. And I was like, man, there's probably got to be a slightly better way. And at the time, Dr. Michael was training some folks online and was like, hey, you should help me out. And this was 2011, 2012. So online coaching wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. I mean, shoot, everyone today is an online coach, but that wasn't the case about a decade ago. So that was pretty cool. And that's how we got started at RP. Went from there into, you know, digital products and into the templates and later into the app. And here we are, you know, a decade later, still uh, still going strong. We still love fitness. Yeah, it's pretty wild, especially when you think of, like you said, how prevalent it is right now to think of a time where that wasn't something that was just a common uh, a common kind of paradigm is, is, is pretty pretty odd um so recently or i don't know if that was too too recently fa fairly recently you wrote a, a book called fit for success um i actually just reread it yesterday because i wanted to kind of have everything fresh in my head um and uh yeah fantastic book really really enjoyed it i i liked a lot of the things you talked about and so i i'm sure that we're going to dive into a handful of things you discussed here but one of the things that i wanted to talk about i guess was you you mentioned in your in your kind of pyramid or hierarchy of of success, um, work ethic is is being one of the base or more foundational things that uh, that you've seen, and I just wanted to see if you would talk about like overcoming you know potential deficits whether it's environmental or personal deficits through just hard work and effort and things like that and just kind of elaborate a little bit more on your perspective on those things. Totally, yeah. So the reason that work ethic forms the the base of the success pyramid. So at RP, we're really well known for basically making pyramids, right? So we have one when it comes to training, we have one when it comes to recovery, when it comes to nutrition. And so I took that same idea and made one of like, hey, what does it really take for people to be successful? And I don't just mean fitness, this can apply to life, overcoming obstacles, personal finances, etc. But really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is you can have all the best ideas in the world. But if you don't ever act on them, that really means nothing. So that's kind of like the key secret sauce there is you actually have to do the work. So that sucks when it comes to fitness because there's no secret hack. There's no special way to just get really jacked or really strong because you actually have to go in and do the work and you can't really get around that. And so I think that's, again, from my point of view, it's kind of this really cool thing because, well, that can mean if you don't have the best genetics in the world, well, if you do the things that most people aren't willing to do, you can probably, I'm not saying you can always beat the people that might be more blessed or whatever, but you can certainly kind of keep up with them. And that was something I learned in high school. 
because I was definitely not a good athlete. I was a really crappy kind of distance runner, but I just did what basically everyone else on my team wasn't willing to do. And I went from like the worst runner my freshman year to pretty good my sophomore year. And, you know, by the time it, it was really just this light bulb moment for me in high school. And I was like, yeah, I think there's something to this hard work thing. And just kind of always applied that. I mean, you know, you know this as well, just being in the fitness space, but that's the cool part. You can, you can start at the 120 pound old skinny kid in junior high or high school. And man, if you just keep applying that and keep working hard and just 200 plus pounds, deadlifting five, 600 pounds, you know, a decade later, that's like, how cool is that? Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually kind of literally my story as well. Cause when I, when I, um, my last fight was in 2010, 2011, something like that. And I was fighting at 165 and I was a legitimate 165 pound guy. And so at 183 centimeters, like I was just, a, you know, skin and bones basically. And uh, I mean, if you told me that I'd be 280 and a power lifter, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, no, it's really right. hard to put yourself in, into those positions, but then exactly like you said, you start working, you start gaining momentum, you start, you know, seeing what else is possible. And it's, it's kind of wild. You, you mentioned a couple things there that I really liked. And just the one, one of the things was as simple as it is like you, you tell anyone, Hey, you just need to work a little harder. And everyone knows this. It's one of those things like intuitively everyone just knows, but so few people actually act on it. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's so wild how little value people put into that, you know, like even with training, when sometimes you'll hear, oh man, well, like I'm dieting, I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm just not getting the results. And it's like, okay, well, yes, you know, you went from doing nothing to doing something, but that something hasn't reached critical mass yet. And so it's not necessarily enough to actually start turning over results. And, you know, one thing that, uh, there's this guy I've followed for a long time, Grant Cardone, um, and he talks about how people, you know, one of the main reasons why people fail is they dramatically underestimate the time it's going to take to accomplish something and the effort that's required as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of basically exactly what you were just saying. Um, I also wanted to, I guess, get your feedback on, on one thing is like translating skills from one area to another, because, you know, maybe most people aren't good at, let's say, lifting weights or business, but they usually have something that they're really good at, whether it's, you know, they're a fast learner or I don't know, they're great at chess. And so usually there's some sort of like skill set that can translate over to help them be successful in other areas. But I think that a lot of people really struggle, including myself, to take what made them successful in that area and apply it in other contexts. So can, can, you, can you just kind of talk a little bit about that and how someone might actually go about, you know, sort of organizing that process? Sure. So let's just take fitness as an example, because we're talking to fitness folks. How do you become good at lifting? And that's you know a rhetorical question. We kind of all, we all, hopefully all know the answer to that more or less. Well, like you did a little bit today, and then you know through progressive overload and just sticking to the really just boring, unsexy basics for months and years over time, you're able to go from kind of where you're at now to a place much greater in the future. And well, what if we apply that same principle, that same line of thinking to something like oh I don't know, personal finances. Well, how do wealthy people become wealthy that are not just inherited wealth, which is actually a pretty small number of people that become, you know, self-made millionaires, whatever. Uh, a lot of people like to think that it's all just, you know, given to them. It's actually not the case. But uh, so I think it's less than that. 
yeah, it, it's a, you know, it's the vast majority of people, you know, they, it's self-made. And so, well, how do you do that? All right, well, let's just say you, I don't know, apply the same unsexy basics, but consistently over time. So what does that look like maybe in, in finances? Well, what's super unsexy? Just is not popular. Living below your means, not spending a ton of money, saving and investing. Now, well, what about investing? So is it like the really super popular trendy stuff? Well, that would be like doing that bullshit, you know, uh, a stupid ass uh, belly wraps or something like that. Well, hopefully you're not doing that for the love of God. You know, that doesn't work in fitness. Why would you think it works in, in you know, something like personal finances? So, well, maybe you keep that same idea and approach and you apply it to a different area. You know, the un unsexy basics, uh, you know, super low cost, like index funds, the most boring thing in the world. But then you sit out there and read all the different stuff. And it's like, oh, well, you just kind of let time and compound interest work for itself. Gee whiz, that sounds a hell of a lot like what it takes to be successful in fitness, right? You just keep going. Now, you don't get quite the compound effects uh, fitness that would be pretty cool if you if you did right you think oh yeah i just uh, just deadlifted like you know 3840 pounds right? that's pretty sweet but it doesn't work that way but again it does have a lot of carryover and it is honestly at the end of the day i think it boils down to a couple things people aren't willing to kind of do the the, the slight edge things and that's actually a really good book oh, i love that book dude i'm rereading it right now i think it's actually probably the, the best book i've ever read uh, yeah that's definitely on my top three for sure rereading it right now i just read about 50 pages this morning but most people just aren't willing one again so like what does it take one day to be successful versus the next well it's probably something so simple and easy that like it's it's really easy to overlook so you might just not do it right because in fitness that's you know oh maybe you just skip your workout and you know you just eat one or two meals that are you know a little bit overboard. Well, you keep doing that day after day after day. And where does that lead you? It starts to lead you in a really poor direction. So you kind of get the, the negative compound effect versus the positive compound effect. You know, it's the same when it comes to saving, right? It's not sexy to save $10 a day, let's call it. But at the end of a week, you've got 50 bucks. And at the end of a month, you've got a couple hundred dollars. All of a sudden, you apply that for 10 years. Well, like, you're probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it seems so easy to do. So a lot of people skip it. And here's the other thing. It's just so damn boring and so slow that people fall off because if you have something that you're naturally a little bit gifted at, you've probably been doing that more because you're good at it and it's fun. And then if you try to do something you're not so good at, and I can speak very much to this and in the sport of jujitsu, I've been training maybe like a year Dude, I suck at it. I had never grappled. I'd never done any combat sports my entire life. But I was like, you know what? I, I want my I want my kids to do this. So I'm like, I'm gonna try to lead by example. And I, you know, I wasn't good at it. It did not come natural to me. It still does not come natural to me. They're like, hey, do this. I'm like, what? I don't even know what you're trying to do here. But again, like it would have just been easy for me to stick with kind of what I'm quote unquote good at, you know, just like lifting and you know, uh, things like that. But Again, you just have to apply that same line of thinking to other areas and you just have to be patient with the process. And if you can do that, yeah, you're probably going to be pretty successful in the long run. Yeah, and it's it's so funny because even from a coaching standpoint, right? Like I found that for myself anyways, I constantly have to have conversations with, with a lot of my athletes where sometimes they'll be struggling and they'll kind of be frustrated and be like, ah, oh, you know, kind of hitting a plateau or they're just maybe 
you know, working really long hours and their environment isn't necessarily that conducive to the most productive progress that, that they've seen. And so their, their rate of progress is slowed down and it becomes a little bit more difficult and they're all frustrated. And they're like, man, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. And it's like, okay, let's zoom out a little bit. Over the last three years, how much stronger have you gotten? And they're like, oh, well, I'm squatting 20 kilos over my previous one rep max for five reps with three reps in the tank. It's like, okay, so you've been stronger. Yes. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, have you had difficulties up until this point? Like, yes. I'm like, did you get through them? Yes. Are you still stronger? Yes. Okay, cool. So we can probably extrapolate that out and assume that you're going to continue getting stronger if you just don't quit. Right. And as, as it's so goddamn obvious, but when I'm in it, man, I need to have that same conversation with someone else. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's real hard. It's real hard to disassociate. Um, it is. Well, yeah. so real quick on that note, it's, it's so obvious to see these things in other people. And I think that's you know part of why I think a lot of coaches also hire their own coaches because you can write a hell of a lot of excuses for yourself if you're doing your own programming. But like if someone else is doing it, you're like, oh man. So I love that part because you get a little bit detached from it. So you know, if I'm coaching you or you're coaching me, and I'm like, hey, I just really don't want to do this. You're going to be like, shut up, just do it. And I'm like, yes, fine, yes, I know that. I'm just going to do it. So it's definitely just that kind of detached, like you said, you kind of just take the step back and then you can kind of very clearly see what's going on. But when you're in the middle of it, man, it's frustrating. It's, it's really tough to overcome, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that that is where having a good coach or mentor or someone can be so important because, I mean, I... Um, maybe about four months ago or something like that, I hired my very first coach. And uh, a lot of the stuff we're doing isn't that different from what I was doing, you know? But I have never seen better results in my life, you know? And it's like, okay, well, why? Well, probably because my adherence is exponentially better when I'm working with someone else than when I have to answer to myself because it's like, you know, I want to go with my friends and, and they're, they're having a night out and I'm kind of like, oh man, you know, I'd like to have some food when I eat out. And before I'd be like, oh yeah, fuck it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just one day. Yeah. But now I'm like, nah, my guy's going to see this and he's going to see my macros and he's going to be pissed. And, you know, so it's like, I can't let him down. And so even just that little extra bit makes such a big difference that, that, you know, one degree of separation can be so, so important. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on, um, on locus of control as well because that that's something i know you talked about in your book and i think that that's something that not a lot of people really acknowledge as as much as i think maybe they should so can you just kind of first off discuss like first off what is locus of control and then how might you actually implement some of these concepts um in, into your own life yeah so i think a lot of people are familiar with the idea but that exact term i actually was kind of surprised like when I started writing about it. A lot of people were like, well, what do you mean locus of control? Or do you mean focus? A lot of people thought I had a typo. And I'm like, well, I'm not that dumb to have a you know, typo that obvious in my book. But um, you know, it, it means what it boils down to at the end of the day is you focus on the things that you actually have control over. So why would I be upset that it's raining outside? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, right? If you think about it logically, you're like, I can't control the weather. So why am I going to be upset about that? Okay, I can't do anything about it. So it just kind of is what it is. You know, it's kind of like the Stoic philosophy. That's a cool thing. You look back, you know, there's people that knew all this stuff thousands of years ago. That's why I kind of find pretty fascinating about it too. So you're all right, you can't control the weather. Can't do anything about it. Right, what can I control now? 
So if you're only focused on kind of things you don't have any control over, like you get really stressed out if it rains or uh, my favorite example of myself is, uh, you know, if I'm watching a football game and I get upset because the team's not doing well, it's like, well, gee whiz, idiot. I can't, I'm not there. I'm not competing. I'm not on the field. Like, why am I upset? Uh, I can't do anything about it. That's more of an external of self-control because you don't have any say over it. And nothing you do is going to matter. Whereas on the flip side, internal locus of control, you essentially just know that the things you do and things you think are ultimately going to control your destiny. And if we use a rain example, well, you might wear rain boots or a rain jacket or an umbrella, or maybe if you know you have to drive somewhere and it's raining out and traffic's going to be bad, well, gee, you can't control either of those. So what do you do? Well, you leave earlier. And so the cool part about this is so actually just recently did the RP virtual summit and I, I did a presentation and locus control of one of the things I talked about. And a lot of people are like, well, how do you kind of help people cultivate this? And I think that's a really good question. And I thought about it a lot. And then I watched uh, Dr. Melissa Davis, a colleague of mine, present on building habits. And she said something to the effect of, you can't change something unless you're aware of it. So part of it is you have to develop the self-awareness around it. And like for me, I mean, I've literally been thinking about this idea for every single day for the last couple of years. So it's just like kind of so obvious to me because it's just always in my head. It's always something that I'm thinking about. I'm sure we can all relate to that too when it comes to fitness. You see someone that's, uh, you know, eating a plate of spaghetti and gummy bears or something like that. You know, like some shit that like, I don't know, a normal person might eat. And you're like, what? What in the world is that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, where's your protein? You're over consuming carbs by like a mile. So again, because that's all we think about, right? That's just what we think about every single day is, you know, hey, macros and nutrition and training and all that. Well, for me, it just kind of applies. And you know, I, again, I think part of the reason that it is a really hard concept to overcome is because you take a look around on something like social media. What do you see? You kind of see this highlight reel of everyone and you start to think and question yourself. And you're like, man, you know, that person has it so much better than I do. That person's doing something. Or, you know, Daniel, he's 280 pounds. He's deadlifting hot like way more than I can. You're like, man, I must suck. But like, I can't control what you're doing, but now that I have to kind of take a step back and look like, all right, well, it's not really too much about what other people are doing, but what can I start doing? How can I improve myself? And when you get that, when you really focus on the things you actually do have control over, even if it's really small, simple stuff, it kind of goes back to that whole, I think we just talked about this earlier, of just confidence. You know, little by little, you just take one step in the right direction and sooner or later, you kind of get that momentum and the ball just starts rolling a little bit easier for you. Yeah, 100%. And, and just to kind of even build on what you were saying as well, I think when you start to identify some of those areas that you do have control over, it, it kind of feeds into the, the self-determination theory, right? Where it gives you that sense of autonomy. And a lot of the times, you know, right now, COVID, we've got this big crisis people are losing their jobs. There's a lot of instability, both financial, relationally, like everything. And I think a lot of people are kind of looking for some sort of semblance of control. And this is obviously sort of like an extreme version of that. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, obviously myself included, kind of go through a lot of that stuff when you have some sort of setback, if you have an injury, if, you know, let's say you lose your job or I don't know, whatever it might be. And, um, just finding ways to be able to exert yourself into the situation and say, you know what, okay, 
I can't do this or this, or this, but I mean, I can apply for 50 jobs every single day until I get a job, you know? Yeah. And I mean, sure, that's not necessarily what you want to do, but if you apply for 50 jobs a day, I guarantee you're going to have like at least 15 offers by the end of the week, you know? <laughs> so you can just go overboard and, and make sure that you're always covered. Um, another thing, because um, I think you brought up a really, really great point uh, as far as like just focusing on what you can control is that's something that I talk to my athletes quite a bit about as well. Like during competition, um, you know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, well, what's, what's the other person squatting? What's it, you know, like if, if they're going head to head, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like you're going out here to do your best. And if your best isn't good enough to beat him, then it's not good enough to beat him. And if it is, then it is. But there's no point, at least in my mind, and I know a lot, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but that's just how I feel. I'm like, there is no point in paying to what paying attention to what someone else can do. You're not going to automatically be able to lift 30 more pounds because you see someone else doing it. It's like either you got it or you don't, you know? And and we're already trying to push you to, you know, damn near your maximum anyway. So I don't know. That's just sort of my opinion on that. Yeah, no, it has a lot of truth to it because here's the thing, when you start like stressing and worrying too much about what other people do, well, one, it's going to get in your head. Now, maybe some people use it as a benefit. Absolutely. I'm not going to say no one gets a benefit from that, but you really just start to kind of lose, lose hope when you don't really have control of the situation because you're like, well, you know, why bother? Why bother if like, I, you know, I can't have any control over it. And that's the slippery slope. And you mentioned COVID. I think that's a perfect example because it's so easy to fall into that. You know, if we go back in time a year and a half to March 2020 when the pandemic first hit, I think you saw a lot of people start heading in different directions. There were the people that like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Me, oh, I'm not going to say it wasn't bad because listen, I had a whole hell of a lot of stuff going on in you know, my own personal life to deal with that, that sucked. But I refuse to kind of play that victim role and go into that negative downward spiral that can come when you don't have hope. But the great thing about internal locus of control is when you know that what you do matters and it doesn't have to be a big thing, just take a single step, even if it's a tiny step in the right direction to get the ball rolling. When you do that, it gives you hope. What does hope give you? Well, hope helps get you through all the rough times. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And actually, it's funny that you brought that up because I remember quite vividly when COVID first started happening and no one knew what the fuck was going on. Yeah. I remember seeing all of these posts about if all you can do is just get out of bed today, you should be proud. And I like for me, I was like, this is dangerous. You know, it's really dangerous because it's like, is everything that's happening unfair? Yes. Is it shitty? Yes. Are people's lives being destroyed? Yes. But is the solution really to, to say like, hey, you know what, just give up, it's okay, and like placate people? <sighs> you know, I, I'm obviously not there to judge for other people, and some people maybe just, yeah, be at the absolute end of their rope. But I think in most instances, the people who came out on top were the ones who were like, man, this is brutal. I hope it doesn't, I, you know, I, let, let's try and make this end in a better situation than when it started, Right. And, and for me, actually, like when I, when, when the pandemic first started, that's when I started submitting articles for the first time. And I started, that's when I first got published. That's when I first started my podcast. That's when I got, um, and then I got picked up by Kabuki Strength. And so now I work with them. And all of that happened just over the course of the pandemic, because I was like, man, I need to do something to make sure I'm productive in this time. Because yeah. 
like I was just sitting at home because I worked from home, obviously. And it was just like, it was brutal. I was bored. I was down. It was just like, man, this sucks. And, and the thing is, it's like, I think everyone's right. You know, when they're like, oh man, I lost my job or I broke up. It's like, yeah, yeah, that sucks. It's not fair. It's terrible. You know, and some people have way worse shit to happen than, than obviously what happened to me. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think there is some sort of something comforting about being like, okay, I'm going to come out of this at least a little bit better than when I went in. Yeah, for me, I always think about it this way. And let me know if you think this is uh, yeah, on the right track and you think like this too. But, you know, is, is it okay to feel down and have stress and anxiety and just, you know, be pessimistic every now and then? Absolutely. Absolutely is. But where does that get you? What does that do for you? I understand you should absolutely go through some of those emotions and that's just kind of part of life. You're going to have to deal with some of that stuff and it's, you know, okay to grieve and be sad, et cetera, et cetera. But then what? Like, what do you do then? What's after that? You just continue that? Is it just a perpetual pity party? Is it you just, uh, you know, start to give up? Well, I don't know. I don't think that's the right course of action because that's going to lead to nowhere good. And then very quickly, it can lead to a negative downward spiral. And then all of a sudden, you have this just pessimistic view on the entire world. And, you know, one seemingly small thing happens and it just kind of like sets you off over the edge. And you're just like, oh, this is terrible. Like life sucks. Everything is awful. And it's like, okay, well, maybe, but what, what, what would happen? I'm not saying this is easy. Here's the thing. It's not easy. It's a simple concept, but it's not easy to do. Because we're human. We have emotions. We're not robots. But what would happen if you just started taking like one little step in the right direction? Use some, you know, I'll use some, some examples here. What if it's, hey, you know, life sucks. I just lost my job, all that. But you know what? Hey, I'm still here. I'm grateful to still be here, right? Because COVID saw some really bad stuff happen. Uh, you know, what about something like that? Well, maybe it just, maybe it's like 0.01% for that day. But maybe it just moves you a little bit. Right, like that, that's just the difference, right? If you just kind of change that mindset a little bit, it's just these little things, little by little adds up and you just start moving in that other direction rather than the negative downward spiral. For me, I think that's just the big thing that uh, I try to think about a lot. Yeah, no, I, I honestly couldn't agree more because exactly like you said, it's, it's like, is all that stuff valid? Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually change the situation. You know, if, if you lost a loved one, if you lost your job, if you lost you know, your financial security, your house, whatever, you know, might've happened, you're still in the same situation, you know? And so at some point there needs to be like some sort of owner's responsibility to be like, Hey, you know what? No one's going to get me out of this position than me. And like you said, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, right? Like you don't have to be like, okay, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to do this and this and this. And it's like, sometimes I think there's this idea that you have to go from zero to hundred. And it's like, no one goes from zero to hundred. You go from zero to one, right? Zero to like, okay, I'm going to apply for a job or what would it be like to own my own company? Or, you know what I mean? Just even getting an idea. I'm like, exactly like you said. So yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying right there. Or um, zero to like 0.1 or 0.5. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause like sometimes zero, zero to one for sure. But no, no, I'm just, you know, yeah. being a, little, yeah. just a little silly, but yeah, that's right. It's like zero to hundred doesn't exist. That's just, it's not how it works. And yeah. Again, I think social media kind of feeds into that a little bit with folks and you start to think that, that maybe it does work like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't folks. It doesn't. I hate to you know, bring that bad news to you, but that's how it works. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, wanted to get your opinion on 
like sort of timelines for success because this is something I know a lot of people struggle with as well, especially with social media. They'll they'll look at someone and be like, oh well, I've been powerlifting for you know two years and I'm here. This guy's been powerlifting for six months and he's like breaking the junior national record. Or with businesses, you know, like they'll constantly reference Jeff Bezos or someone else. And it's like, okay, so you're comparing yourself to one of the most successful people to ever exist. You think that's a fair comparison? You know, and so, so, but at the same time, we, we do need to be able to accurately evaluate our, our progress to see, do we need to pivot? Do we need to, you know, adjust anything? Or are we making very good progress based on, you know, what you would normally expect? So how, do you have a good process for doing that? Um, well, yes and no. I think, I don't know exactly how long things are going to take. So for example, someone might say, hey, where's RP going to be in three years, five years from now? I don't know. I mean, I have kind of, you know, we have a rough roadmap in our head, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we're just going to apply the same principles that we do for anything else. Like we're just going to keep tweaking things. We're going to learn from feedback. We're just going to keep getting a little bit better. You know, we'll keep making mistakes. We'll keep failing. We'll keep, uh, you know, doing doing things wrong here and there. Like that's what happens. We just learn from it. You get a little bit better and you just keep moving forward. It's, it's stuff like that. It's kind of the... Uh, the mastery mindset where you don't really have like a set destination or outcome. You just love the process. And for me, I think that's very much true when it comes to RP, when it comes to, you know, personal finances, it comes to fitness. I don't know if I really have some ultimate goal where I want to be, you know, when I'm 50 years old when it comes to fitness, but, you know, hopefully that means I'm just still training my ass off and maybe my priorities will shift a little bit and not who knows, maybe I'll be running Ironman then. I have no idea. But guess what? It's going to be something where I'm like pushing myself to the limits uh, quite often and just trying to get better all the time. So really, I think the big takeaway is like if you, if you have shorter time horizons, it usually leads to worse decisions being made. Whereas if you have a longer term time horizon, you start to think a little bit differently. So an example might be maybe you're a fitness influencer online and some BS company comes to you and they're like, hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of money to hawk my skinny diet tea, belly wrap, whatever. And you're like, oh, cool. I just want to be more wealthy than I was yesterday. Yes, I'm going to say yes to that. Of course, yeah, give me my money. And then like you say that, well, now you've lost all credibility. Now like people really coming to you because they trust you with like what you're going to recommend fitness-wise or whatever. No, of course not. But what if you were like, the same company reaches out, but you have a longer term time horizon. Like I want to be someone that people come to and look up to in the fitness space you know, a year from now or a couple of years from now. That's just kind of my, my end goal. Whenever I get there, I get there. Well, you're going to tell those people to fuck right off. <laughs> That's it, because you have a longer time horizon. And then apply this to other things too. Well, gee whiz, when you're 17 years old, it might be really tempting to just juice to the gills because you want to step on, you know, junior national bodybuilding stage. Oh, gee, is that, is that the right answer for long-term? Do you want to be around when you're like 40 or 50? Well, you start to make different decisions and you can prioritize things a little bit differently. So generally speaking, the longer time horizons people have, the, the better decisions they're more, you know, more likely to make. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, one area that I've definitely seen a lot of that in is, um, is in weight cutting, right? Like, I'll, I'll see an athlete who clearly needs to gain like at least 20 pounds um, and, and they'll be trying to cut weight to, to get to a lower weight class. And it's like, okay, I mean, sure, that's going to benefit you in, in this competition, but what's your long-term goal? 
And are you going to keep doing that for every competition that it comes up? You know, like, so I, I think, yeah, I think exactly what you said when you, when you sort of define your purpose and you're like, okay, this is what I want. This is the direction that I'm going. It makes it a little bit easier to say no to opportunities because I mean, even, and I think this is one of the areas that I think people probably are more commonly confronted with is they're met with, let's say three or four really fantastic opportunities, but only one of them actually aligns with ultimately what they want to do. Right. So it's like, Hey, do you want this job, this job, this job, all pay really well. I'll have great opportunities. You can make a fan, like a fantastic case for accepting any one of them, but maybe your ultimate purpose is to, I don't know, have a little bit more mobility or something like that. So you can travel and only one offers you that, but the other ones offer you maybe more money or maybe um, more paid vacation time or whatever it is. And so it's like, you know, they're all fantastic opportunities, but if you really, really are clear on what you want, I think that's, that's the hard thing. Cause I mean, I, I made that mistake as well um, a handful of times previously where it's like, if you don't know exactly what you want, any opportunity is going to look like the right one, you know? And, and that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's tough. Absolutely. It's tough for well sure. Um, so actually this is something that I think we might have a difference of opinion on. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on this. I mean, maybe, maybe we don't, I don't know, but personally, my opinion is more like, you, you know how people will say um, you need to believe in yourself before you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Like my personal opinion is that I, I, I agree with it, but I also don't agree with it. And here's the, the sort of like caveat. I personally don't place a whole lot of stock in my emotions. And I don't let that really determine a whole lot of, you know, and that, that's for me, right? Because I have doubted myself. I have been terribly afraid and, you know, for every single fight, but I won every single fight by knockout. And I've done the same thing with all my lifts. I've been terribly afraid, very nervous, and yet I do it. And there've been times where I've been extremely confident and I miss. So I'm like, okay, these aren't necessarily reliable metrics to, to evaluate my level of preparedness or what's going to happen in the future. But then simultaneously, I think if you believe that they matter, then that has a meaningful impact on the outcome. You know, so almost like you're placeboing yourself or nociboing yourself, I guess, in that case. So, so my personal opinion is like, I don't believe that you have to believe in yourself and in fact, I think it's a little bit unreasonable to think that you should believe in yourself to accomplish all these amazing things when you're just getting started. But at the same time, a lot of other people who are way more successful than me have kind of a counter position. So I don't know. I'd love your, your perspective. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some nuance involved for sure. I don't think it's like a, you must do this or you must do that. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, my, my probably biggest counterpoint to that would be, and again, I think we probably mostly align, just a couple small things in there. Uh, my main thing would be, so all right, if you're just getting started, but you don't really believe in yourself, that kind of, for me, it goes back to what we talked about earlier about having that hope. And you're like, well, I don't know. I think a lot of people would then just not even try. So for me, that's where that comes down from. And then like, you know, do I think sure. that, that's, a, that's a good point. I should replace, I should replace lack of belief with maybe doubt. Okay, sure. Uncertain, yeah, yeah. Doubt, uncertainty, something like that. Yeah, because you're, you're right. I, I do agree with that. So um, I 100% agree with you that uh, we need to be more logical and rational versus more emotional. And that's something, again, just goes back to, you know, working on mindfulness training. I know it sounds a little frou-frou and I don't know how many, you know, power lifters are out there doing that. I'm not saying you got to do yoga and, you know, become a Buddhist monk or anything like that. But it's just that the more you start to focus and be aware of these things, boy, stuff can happen. And you just, 
you kind of just don't react. You're like, okay, well, what should I do next? So I'm, I'm with you there hundred percent because if you're totally ruled by emotion, you're just, you're just not going to make good decisions. Like, uh, sorry to say that. Uh, are there maybe sometimes where emotions are beneficial? Sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure we could make up some examples, but uh, yeah, no, like logic and reason should win out at the end of the day. Uh, the vast majority of the time they do not <laughs> with most people, which is unfortunate. So it's one of these things, there's definitely just nuance involved that I think you, you have to have some belief in yourself that like, you know, hey, I can do this. I don't know what that looks like necessarily. It's totally fine to have doubt in yourself. I mean, gee whiz, I doubt myself all the time, of course. Actually, just got a text from a buddy of mine. He sent me this like, YouTube video talking about uh, kind of how like your, your inner self-critic, you know, uh, how you kind of deal with that and essentially the video is like well you just kind of have to be mindful of it be aware of it that it's there and then you just kind of have to ask why like well like what's going on here like just kind of be curious about it a little bit and you know by the way this guy is like a super successful individual with special forces at the highest level literally the highest level um, and it's just it's cool to hear his perspective on things because i think you know it goes back to you have to be aware of it you have to notice that like everyone has doubt who you are everyone's gonna have all that but um you know it's like this i feel like it's almost like this tug of war because you have this self-doubt all the time but at the same time if uh you know that uh, that self-doubt just pulls you all the way to one side and you don't have any self-belief then for me it goes back to i just don't know if that person's gonna actually really go for it so there's, there's got to be that little like kind of dichotomy in there of, of how you balance those two yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was chatting with um, Dr. Lisa Lewis. She's, she's a psychologist um, and a coach. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but um, she's a really, really smart girl. And uh, one of the things that she said that I really liked was, you know, when you are having these doubts, when you're feeling negative affect or whatever it might be, she's like, just sit down and ask yourself, like, is this a fact or a feeling? I was like, oh shit, that's actually like, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like what you're saying right now, right? Is in, in the sense that like, you might doubt something, but you're like, oh, is it possible I could do it? Maybe, okay, let's see. Well, so, so one other thing too, in this, uh, you know, this kind of this text conversation with a buddy of mine today, I was just mentioning, and I kind of phrase it like this. And, and this is the thing that I've kind of come to, to realize and in my spin on it, there's a book called uh, Upside of Stress. Kelly uh, McGonigal, she's a professor at Stanford, has a couple other really cool books too. One is actually all about, like, she's very, you know, fitness, willpower uh, oriented. But uh, the book's called Upside of Stress. And, and for me, it was like, so let's take the nerves that you have before a fight or before a big lift. Well, you can probably phrase it one of two ways. Like, holy crap, I'm so scared. I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, why should I be feeling like this? I don't know. Maybe for some people, that's going to lead them to do well. Maybe for some others, it won't. But on the flip side, you can kind of phrase it to yourself. You can frame it in your head. It's like, guess what? I'm nervous. I'm nervous as shit. But it's a good thing because it means that I care a whole lot. And if you go back to, let's say, a couple months before the competition, if you are nervous, oh, I bet you, if you're nervous, you're going to be training a hell of a lot more. You're going to be doing everything that you can. It goes back to the, the locus of control. You're doing everything you can because, well, how do you really kind of minimize uh, anxiety and, things like that when you practice and you rehearse and you just get more comfortable and you get more confidence and you have that 
how many those, those nerves are gonna go down a little bit. They won't vanish all the way, but I basically just flipped it back to my buddy and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, our, our inner self critic, I'm like, I'm thankful that I have it because I know that it's gonna keep pushing me to always wanna do better. So, you know, how do you kind of frame it to yourself? That's probably gonna matter. Yeah, no, 100%. And there was some research I read, this was many, many, many years ago, um, looking at stress as well. And it sort of runs parallel to a little bit about what you're saying. And what they were finding was that stress wasn't necessarily a, a big defining factor of like health. Uh, this is looking at health risk anyways. They specifically differentiated stress uh, in this context anyways, being how it's interpreted by the individual. Um, yes. Not necessarily physiologically, but like psychologically, like is this, is this a good stress or is it a bad stress? Is this going to make me stronger, more robust, or is it just overwhelming and, you know, kind of exceeding your, your allostatic threshold, I guess. Um, and they found that the, the individuals, I can't remember exactly how they measured stress, but they had some sort of, you know, psychological questionnaire or something I would, I would assume. But anyways, um, one of the things they talked about was it didn't seem to matter how much stress an individual experienced. It was just about their, their perception of what that stress meant to them. And that was a greater determining factor of, what actually happened to the individual versus the actual stressor experience in which, which again, I just kind of thought was pretty interesting. Um, so sounds like research that went into the book. Is it very much along those same lines? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned two books, The Slight Edge. I've never heard of The Upside of Stress before, or no, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it, sorry. Um, so I've, I've got a note here. I'm, I'm gonna put that one on my list. Do you have any of the other books that you recommend? on a certain topic or anything or just kind of overall um just just sort of like what we're talking about books that you've you've found to be really helpful in terms of like uh cultivating a productive mindset and and just kind of getting into headspace to to i guess do exactly what we're talking about right now sure yeah uh slight edge pretty much universal number one for me now i'm even more convinced that as, as i reread it so i'm like even making notes over my old notes i'm like Oh my God, I just somehow wish that people could understand this idea. Um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I think that uh, it's great. And you know, I listen to his podcast a lot. Uh, it's the ultimate example of internal focus of control. If you take ownership over things, like it doesn't matter because you're, you're going to fix it. You're, you have ownership over what's going on. You're going to figure out a way to fix it. Like, you're not going to blame other people. It's not going to be more external. It's like, nope stops here what needs to be done let's do it ties in perfectly i think with what we've been talking about yeah no that's that's definitely one of my favorites as well i really like how he ties that into leadership and, and just more of like yeah. a management thing um because that's something that i found when he speaks about his experience with with coaching companies and stuff like that that's i found the parallels to be very helpful and you're like oh wow yeah like this this is so prevalent but i mean it's it's bad leadership Right. And then you can kind of, I don't know, make some changes for yourself. But um, one that I kind of wanted to toss in was uh, a book by Brian Tracy, actually, which was Eat That Frog. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, read it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I really like that one just because I know so many people struggle with just like executing. And it's, it's kind of like <laughs> the whole slight edge thing where you're talking about just taking that one step, just doing the one little thing. But I find a lot of the times people have all these things to do and none of them are really productive or moving them forward. And even I find myself like every couple of months looking at my actual like calendar and being like, okay, what is actually moving me forward? And what's just cool stuff that I think is, is fun or engaging 
or that I like to do for maybe my social media content. And I find myself slashing stuff every couple of months because I'm just like, nope, doing it again, just filling my time up with shit that doesn't actually move the needle. Um, so that, that's one that I'll toss in there as well. Um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on like mentorship in terms of like, A, do you have a mentor or is it more just kind of like a group of friends that you kind of associate with and collaborate with or, and, and also do you have any sort of ideas around like maybe finding a mentor for people who are looking for someone to help kind of guide them through either business or fitness or whatever. I mean, obviously if it's fitness, you can kind of hire a coach, but I think with business it's a little bit more difficult because usually the only people offering like coaching are people who maybe were personal trainers <laughs> for three weeks and then decided they'd become a coach because they had an online business and now they're coaching yeah. other people to do shit that they didn't actually accomplish. And so you get a lot of people like that. So, so yeah. What, what, what are some of your perspectives on that? Yeah, so in terms of fitness, I mean, I've been lucky. I met Dr. Mike in 2007 at the University of Michigan when I, we were both undergrads. So in terms of like fitness, I've kind of always at least been on kind of the right track. I mean, we did a lot of stupid shit early on, of course. Don't get me wrong there. But uh, he's actually, you know, he's, I would say, probably my biggest mentor because he has a really good mindset. He's just always been like, you know, well, we're focused on the long term, like so. Again, like he was again. I we always kind of generally agreed on most things, but it was just always cool. And a lot of the stuff that I've really learned the last couple of years, I kind of think back and I'm like, you know, I feel like he was kind of doing some of this stuff beforehand. So, uh, Dr. Michael B. One for sure, a really smart guy. Um, actually, joined an entrepreneurial group. Like yeah, most most probably cities have him around and they'd probably have some requirements to get in and whatnot, but I'm sure there's like other ones, um, you know, depending on where someone is when it comes to business, because you're right. Boy, I, I would be real skeptical if someone was like, hey, I want to hire a business coach, I beg, please be skeptical. Please go in thinking that they probably don't know what they're doing and get uh, referrals or recommendations from folks that you know, that you trust or think kind of, all right, well, where am I at? Where do I want to be? Who's someone that's kind of there now? Maybe just like shoot a message. And, you know, here's the part that I found pretty cool. Most people, if you reach out to them, yeah, you know, some people are so big that they're never going to respond. But most part, most people are pretty chill. Uh, I had on, um, on the RP podcast, we had on James Clear. Like, he was really cool. Shit, um, when was I, that? Was that a recent um, one? That must have been a recent one. It was, it was like June, probably came out in June. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Um, so he was on, and you know, that's kind of well, he actually, it was a funny story there. Uh, he, he sent a copy of his book in like three years ago, and I sat there and didn't read it for two years or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, it became like the best selling book in America. Um, or, you know, like Amy Morin, who had written like a bunch of books, like 13 uh, things that, you know, uh, mentally strong people don't do. She's got a handful of those books. I just kind of randomly reached out and was like, hey, I really like your books. Like, I'm on the podcast. And she was like, absolutely. So, I mean, I think most people would be surprised. I'm like, I totally get it. You know, sometimes I'll look up to, you know, famous people. I'm like, yeah, I don't really think I'm going to reach out. But, and most of the time, what's the worst that can happen? They don't respond. That's the worst thing. No one's going to respond and be like, hey, fuck off. <laughs> it, yeah. 
Almost certainly put, not. Just put happen. you on blast on their social media. <laughs> How totally, dare this right. peasant reach out to me? <laughs> exactly. It's not yeah. going to happen. And like, take, take your shot. Who knows? You'll probably be pleasantly surprised. So again, you know, just be a little skeptical. Work through referrals and stuff. Obviously, referrals are really good because then we know if someone else has worked with them that, you know, they're probably not a total piece of crap. And yeah, you know, do your, do your research because research is a funny term, I guess. So research i'm making air quotes here yeah your, your due diligence yeah um yeah you know referrals look up and talk to a few different people too it's like yeah you find one you have to go with that person right off the bat so yeah that's a great point because even like when i was first starting the podcast i just reached out to a couple of people and i had zero expectations that i was going to get any good guests but my podcast roster is actually pretty freaking insane um <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, I didn't know any of these people initially, but they were just like, yeah, absolutely. They were like super, super friendly. And every now and then, yeah, like exactly like you said, there'd be someone who's just way too busy and can't get it done. But I mean, everyone's always been very, very polite and it's been super cool. So yeah, I feel like people are a lot more receptive to that stuff than, uh, than they probably would assume right off the bat. Well, yeah. So, I mean, phrase it in the way of like, Hey, you know, come on and, you know, promote your book, your latest book or whatever. Like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I've got yeah. X number of people to listen and, you know, hey, these are some of like, my common questions I get. Like, hey, come on, chat about it. And I think it's going to be helpful. And again, you know, unless you're just super famous, like The Rock or something, you know, chances are you're going to be like, hey, cool. Like, I like talking about this stuff. That's, yeah, <laughs> awesome. Let's have a conversation. So I actually messaged The Rock. <laughs> Hey, hey, right on. How'd it go? About the podcast. Oh, he's got back to me. I doubt, seriously, he's got like, I don't know, 8 million followers, something like that. Seriously doubt he's actually even running his own account. But uh, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll give it a shot. Worst case scenario, nothing happens, nothing happened. No sweat. Yeah, what what was the worst case scenario? Literally nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. It took you, what, a minute (laughs) to write that DM? So it's like, geez, that's... Yeah, plus I only cried for like three days, so it wasn't even a big deal, right? Yeah, well, you know, that's... (laughs) Um, so one thing, uh, as well that, that you kind of touched on, um, in, in your book was you talked about the actual like hierarchy. So you actually gave a pyramid and I guess we probably should have started out with this initially, but can you just kind of briefly go over what, uh, what that hierarchy is? Yeah, there's seven things to it covered. The foundation is work ethic. You move up one step and it's a positive mindset and then a step after, I'm sorry, uh, number two is internal locus of control. Sorry. Number three is positive mindset. And that goes into discipline and then purpose and then failure. And then at the very tip, you got recharge. And for me, under recharge uh, would fall you know, something like mindfulness. You know, what are, what are you eating? Uh, how are you recovering? Stuff like that. And because you can't just put your foot on the gas pedal all the time. You have to be smart enough to, to ease off the throttle here and there. So it's almost like... Um... My interpretation of that, anyways, is almost like kind of Maslow's hierarchy of of, of um, is it values or needs? I can't I can't remember. Needs. Where it's like once you kind of satisfy this one, then you can move to the next one. You're always going to kind of be operating a little bit in all of them, yeah. but it's it's more. Is it more like that? Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, for the most part, because you can have everything right, but if you're not actually doing the work, if you're not actually doing something, uh, I, I don't think you're. I don't think anything's going to result. I think the example in the book is it's like having no fuel for your car or for your rocket engine. You might have every calculation correct, but if you don't have the fuel in there, you're, you're not going anywhere. The ultimate fitness example would be, it's like 
getting every nutrient timing aspect right, but you're trying to lose weight and you're not controlling for calories. So you're, I don't know, not going to lose a whole lot of fat. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, what, what have been some of your, I guess, biggest insights over the last little while, even just kind of through the process of, of writing your book, where you really realize like, oh, wow, these, these are some of the areas that maybe I was, I don't, know, I don't want to necessarily say like deficient in, but maybe just some of the realizations that you had during that whole process of writing, where you're like, oh, okay, this, these things I see are really, really important to me now and have made a really significant impact. So the three that stand out from those seven, and these are the three that I chose to do for my presentation at the RP Virtual Summit, internal locus of control, failure, and more or less discipline. I call it delayed gratification, but uh, it falls under the same bucket as discipline. And if you can get those three right, uh, I think you're going to be so well off that you're going to be greatly surprised. And of course, if you are disciplined, sort of by default, you have a strong work ethic because you're disciplined in doing the things that you need to do. So that would all go together. Those are the three that really stand out to me the most. Awesome. So we're kind of coming up on that hour mark. Do you have any uh, sort of final, I guess, closing thoughts or anything like that that you think is really pertinent for, for a lot of people to hear or kind of consider? I would say go buy a copy of The Slight Edge, read it, really internalize that. And if you can do it, you're going to be much better off in the long term. It seems like you're not doing anything. But I think at the end of the day, when we look back, and again, you kind of take that step back, you're detached, you kind of look down at things, you realize that that's actually kind of the secret to everything. You just keep doing a little bit. And you keep doing a little bit. It's not sexy. It's not going to get you from zero to 100 overnight, but it's going to move the needle just a little bit. And if you can master that concept and not get bored or distracted or fall off and just completely quit, you just got to stay the course and you will be successful in the long term. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I definitely love that book. I've read it a handful of times, although it's been quite a few years since I've, uh, since I've read it. So I probably should pick it back up again. <laughs> um, where can, uh, where can people find you and where can people find your book? Uh, so fit for success is the name of the book. It's on Amazon. You can get uh, you know, Kindle copy for like two ninety nine. I said cheap, so if anyone wants to get it, like it's not gonna you know break the bank. Um, or you can get a paperback, $14.95 on Amazon, I'll ship right to you. And hey, come check me out on Instagram at nick.shaw.rp. And of course, I think most people hopefully follow RP Strength online. That's our, that's our main handle and a lot of cool content there. And we'd appreciate it if people come and check us out. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go and check it out. And um, actually, if you are someone who prefers audiobooks, because I know a lot of people are listening to audiobooks these days, uh, this is also available, if I'm not mistaken, on, on Audible. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Reading, reading your own book for multiple hours is a really interesting experience. Oh, you, you narrate it yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, I bet. That's, Hearing your own voice, eh? Well, that's right. Yeah. So we did the audible version. Um, and also we did kind of like a little mini Q&A at the end of each chapter. So 
it's uh, you know a little bit more than just reading the book. So hey, if you are into that, um, I would absolutely encourage people to do that. I, I like Audible books as well. Awesome. Yeah. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go give them a follow. And uh, Nick, thanks so much for jumping on, man. I appreciate it. It's been a great chat. Likewise. Thanks for having me on.